There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What did say? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tee at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I ain't got no idea. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Cold. Wintry day in Knoxville, Tennessee time. Basketball state champs time? Not quite football state champs time, but maybe that's coming in the future time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, recording this on a Thursday afternoon. Gonna drop it to you on a Friday morning, most likely. I won't rule out the possibility of Thursday night, but I'm 90% sure you're going to be hearing this for the first time on a Friday morning. So, happy Thursday evening slash Friday morning. Fellas, how are we doing? Uh, Depends on whether it's Thursday night or Friday morning. It's true. I haven't decided yet. I'm just waiting to see what the Grizzlies do. Are they really going to trade Mike Conley and Mark Gasol? I don't think they'll trade Conley. Conley's got a max deal. He's not going nowhere. Yeah, I don't know that you get the value back for them, but, I mean, maybe that's not the point. Maybe you're trying to just – you're dying for Zion, right? Uh, well, the NBA won't let us have Zion or R.J. Barrett, so I'm, I'm all in on, on Ja. Give me Ja. I want that dude dunking on everybody. That dude in is – Bill Street Blue. Man, that dude is – that dude is not messing around. That dude is good. He gives, he gives no Fs. Yeah, he uh, and he was a big time prospect when he went there. So it's not like this guy just kind of blew up there. He was a big time prospect who was like, "I'm gonna go to Murray State." People are like, "What? I want to dominate the OVC." Is what yeah, he said. I think he looked at the OVC and was like, uh, "Yeah, I can take those guys." Jaw likey, jaw want wingy. Yeah, he uh, he he he's awesome, man. But uh, and we will get to tons of football stuff. Obviously, this is the Friday football edition of the podcast, but. Uh, I think we have to discuss some basketball to begin with. Don't well, we? we we jokingly talked before we started recording that this was going to be the basketball schools football podcast. Yes, this is <laughs> this is football news for a basketball school. Basically, yeah, that's going to be the the new name of of this uh, of this podcast. But yeah, we have to discuss because Tennessee now obviously ranked the number one team in the country. And if you're looking for a full Tennessee basketball podcast, uh, Grant Ramey and I did one that we uh, dropped on Wednesday morning, so you can go back. It's the episode directly before this one. You can go back and listen to that one there, but uh, we will discuss what was a crazy, crazy SEC basketball game Wednesday night down on West End in Nashville. Tennessee uh, got a really good effort from Vanderbilt, and, and I think that it's easy to criticize Tennessee for letting that be a close game, but I think 
you need to accept a couple of realities. One, that's an in-state rivalry. Crazy things are going to happen. Two, even though it's a 50-50 crowd, you are in someone else's gym. Uh, and three, I think that anytime you are the number one team in the country, this is your life. And Vanderbilt made shots. So they shot lights out. Tennessee made the mistake after going up, I think, 15-4 to four of letting Vanderbilt kind of have a little run back there and get into mm-hmm. the game a little bit. That was the mistake Tennessee made. But from that point forward, Vanderbilt was hitting everything it put up. And in that second half, it, it just – I've been in that building a lot of times, and when Vanderbilt makes that many shots in Memorial, it usually wins. Uh, there's something about when the three ball starts going down there, it becomes a different place. And Vandy started hitting threes, some really ridiculous three-pointers, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. some tough shots. And they were doing the whole milk the clock, hit a, hit a late shot in the clock, just the killers. And they hit so many killers in that game. And Tennessee found a way to get off the mat and win. And I will say this, that flagrant foul on Grant Williams with 122 left, I do not necessarily love that rule. But if you're going to make that a rule and you're going to make that an emphasis and you're going to go to the monitor, you have to call it by the book. And by the book, that is a flagrant one foul because he hooked him and he he did not let go of that hook when Grant Williams got up in the air. And did Grant embellish it a little bit? Maybe. But he still took a nasty fall regardless. I I don't get why you would embellish that knowing you've got a really hard fall to come from from that. I mean, maybe with the game on the line like that, you're thinking do anything you can to win the game. but. But I, I still uh, I, I think that I'll think two things about that. One, like I said, if you look at the letter of the law, that is a foul. It's a flagrant foul. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I couldn't see it because I love Memorial Gym, but one of its quirks is you don't get replays if you're in the press box because the press box view blocks the only jumbotron. And a lot of times, if it's a close play that doesn't look good for Vanderbilt, they're not going to show it on the board. So... Uh, we I didn't get to see a lot of things in real time. Had to go back and look at a couple things, but yeah, I mean, you know, normally you'd like to say let the players decide the game in that situation, but all bets are off when you go to the monitor. When you go to the monitor, the film don't lie, and that film is saying that Tennessee got flagrant fouled there, and that's a new point of emphasis, and that's the rule. And I'll also say that there was a horrible out of bounds call that was obvious that Tennessee should have gotten and didn't. And there was also the most hilarious double dribble that I've seen not called in the yes. game ever in my life. Apparently, there might be a new rule in college basketball where you can't be called for double dribble if you just stand there for like seven or eight seconds. And they'll just forgot that you dribbled the, fir- yeah. the first time. Uh, so there were a lot of horrible calls in that game. Pat Adams is a skid mark on the underpants of, <laughs> of college basketball. Uh, Dr. Naismith designed a beautiful game, one of the best sports in the world. And uh, Pat Adams is doing everything he can to ruin it. Uh, he and everything about his crew always sucks. And uh, it was bad. And there were, too, there were too many touch fouls called. It was just not, Tell us how you really not an evenly called game. And my point is both teams got screwed by that whistle. And I think the fouls or those sort of bad calls came close to evening out. Uh, but it, it takes guts uh, in somebody else's building to overcome that much adversity in a game, even if you cost some of it yourself and win. And this team very clearly has an it factor. It's the defending SEC champions for a reason. Uh, It's going to be able to win some games, not all games, but some games without its best. And it found a way to win that game. Yeah. And and this, I think, I mean, there's a lot to be gained from a game like that still. I I do wonder if this team's going to learn more eventually when it loses a game like this. They've sort of played with fire two games in a row. I think you might be onto something there. But, but yeah, I I think it says a lot. I mean, this is what 
I mean, you've seen Kentucky do this a number of times over the years. You've seen some some other good SEC teams. You know, Florida used to pull out games like this. It, when you become that good, and there and there becomes an air of not invincibility, but just that it's going to take something big to knock off this team. That that's when you know you've got a good team, and and they start to believe it too. Most importantly, that they can pull out any game that can lead to some lackluster efforts sometimes, but it also makes you tougher to beat, uh, I think, in reality. So it's a good sign for, for Tennessee, and my goodness, what an effort from Grant Williams. That's one of the best individual performances you'll see, and, and so much of that was hitting every single free throw yeah. he took in that game. Uh, 23 or 23, that's the most uh, in SEC history in one game without a miss. As and, he said and after and the think, game. And I think it, it, it almost it was one free throw away from tying a national record, uh, uh, which was set in 1959 for free throws attempted in a game without a miss. As he said after the game, you know, if he misses two or three of those, they lose the game. And yep. that, and he, he act, you know, talked about how personally he takes it. That, that's an interesting comment, and that's how players probably ought to look at it. But, yeah, I mean, any one of those free throws going the other way could have made a huge difference when it took everything they had to come back from down six late. And also, I, 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 and I mean this, too, and, and I really do mean this, I'm not wearing a cap right now, which I usually do on a day when I don't have to go to campus. But uh, if I were wearing a, ta- a cap right now, I would tip it to the Vanderbilt Commodores. I think that was one heck of an effort from those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're starting to adjust finally to playing without Darius Garland. And people forget this, but there were more blue blood offers for Vanderbilt's roster than for Tennessee's yes. coming out of high school. And you can say what you want, that Garland injury was bad, uh, but Vanderbilt has talent. It's got, I think there are two surefire NBA players on that roster, maybe a couple more than that. Uh, potentially down the road, so uh, they've been recruiting well since since Bri- um, since since Drew's been there. But they clearly had a bad injury this season, and they clearly need to be a little bit more focused when they're playing teams not named Tennessee. But they have ability. Yeah, and um, you know I, the last two games have, have made it clear that when you are a team of Tennessee stature, ranking whatever top five SEC champs, whatever you want to, however you want to label them, you're going to get everybody's best shot. You're going to get Alabama. Everybody thought that game was over at halftime. What was it, like a 16-point lead at halftime, 15, 14? Something like that. It was comfortably double digits from from the opening minutes. I think Tennessee got out to 11-2 lead in that game, right? Yeah, and then John Petty went stupid. And then he got, he got hot, and, and that was a game. And uh, Vanderbilt played really well last night. I thought uh, I've always viewed Bryce Drew as sort of a just a more of a recruiter maybe than a or a talent gatherer than a actual coach. But I thought he had a nice game plan last night, and he kept going to what was working and – some of the sets they were running were given was giving Tennessee trouble, and and it's sort of like an underdog in a football game. You want to get the game to the fourth quarter, and Vanderbilt was able to kind of okay. They took the first big blow, but they didn't. You know, they recovered. They were fifteen to two. I texted all you guys. I said, "Call the fight." We all yeah. thought it was going to get out of hand, but then to their credit, they kept playing and they got the game late. And that's when um, you know, you, as an underdog, you want to shorten the game like they were. That was you know, that's good coaching yeah. right there put the ball in the hands of, of your playmakers and, and drive at Tennessee. I think Tennessee, maybe their biggest issue uh, is defensively. It seems like they get driven a lot just from watching them over the past couple of games. Their, and, their, and really, their vulnerability is getting beat off the bounce. And, and really, these past two games have sort of reminded me of the Loyola game in the tournament last year. Like, and the, and it, Once you get into the postseason, and, and basketball is a postseason sport, it just takes one bad game, mm-hmm. and you're done. And, and even if you're a, a one, two, or three seed, Chances are, you know, after your first game, and even sometimes in your first game, shout out UMBC, yeah, uh, you you could run into a hot team and you play poorly, and, and you could have a game on your hands, and you just have to find a way to 
to grind it out and win it, and Tennessee has shown that uh, these past two games, but they certainly need to get some things uh, fixed. I don't know how much West Virginia is going to challenge them. Um, did beat Kansas. Did be, be, they beat Kansas and had uh, a similar record to Vanderbilt and, at the time. So. And, and then, you know, we'll see what, what happens there. And um, You know it's going to be a physical game with the way Huggy Bears teams are. Mm-hmm. So, but that, that's what these last two games will sort of remind me of is Tennessee didn't play its best and they got a, the other team's best shot. Um, and in both situations, they, they found a way to win, and that's a that's a trait they're going to need come March um, because uh, that's that's what it's about. You have to be able to survive in advance, especially once you get to the tournament. Yeah, basketball can be awful simple sometimes, and uh, I think Vanderbilt figured out last night that there were a couple guys on Tennessee's roster that could beat off the bounce, and they did that. But they also did simple things like spread the court, go do some you know ball screen action, stuff like that. And wait until you get the right matchup. And if you get something like, uh, you know, Semi Solashi 2 on Lamonte Turner in the block, you're like, uh, yeah, I'll take that. Please and thank you. Or you're like, I've got uh, I've got Saban Lee out on the perimeter being checked by Derek Walker. I think I'm going to like that space out and go go drive him. I mean, they found some things that, that worked. Uh, and you did notice, though, that for a second game in a row, when Tennessee needed it, the defense was there. Now, that makes it frustrating because where's the defense for the rest of the game? But I'm going to tell you, that play where Grant Williams scored 43 points, hit all 23 of his free throws, but the play he made defensively for a second game in a row was as big as anything that happened all game. It was when Vanderbilt was down three in overtime, and they came out of a timeout or a set play, and, and Vanderbilt ran two screens back-to-back screens to get Matt Ryan open. And that guy, when he gets going from three, he's good. And Vanderbilt cha- you know, Vanderbilt got him, chased him around two screens. Grant Williams noticed that Jordan Bone slipped. And Grant Williams went and did the switch. And he got Ryan, and he fought through both of those screens and then forced him to take a bad three in the corner. And that was the ball game right there because yep. that, that's when the ball got rebounded by, by Bone and he got fouled and he went to the line and made those two. So... Mm-hmm. Where's that defense when they need it uh, earlier in the game? But when it's when it's there, uh, they've got the ability to do it, and that's why Barnes gets frustrated because he knows that team can play defense that well. But moving on, we will – obviously we had to talk about that game because it was crazy, but we'll get into football now. Uh, there's just a couple weeks to go uh, now. Actually, what, a little bit less than that. A little less, yeah. Yeah, about 13 days until – or 12 days if this is on a Friday, 12 days before National Signing Day. Second Signing Day. The second. February signing day, FSD. FSD. Just two-day countdown, uh, T-minus 13 days to not FSD. Gonna, not going to be confused with December signing day. Or S – or uh, yeah, you can't say SSD because that sounds like a memory card for like a like a recorder or a, or a camera. But the FSD, we can go with that. And uh, Tennessee, we'll get to that in a little bit later. Not a ton of spots left, but still some, some things moving there, some things in place. Um, but another reason why there's going to be at least one less spot now is that Tennessee has taken another high-profile transfer uh, not long after taking uh, Aubrey Solomon, the defensive lineman, former five-star prospect from Michigan, uh, who's originally from Atlanta. Uh, Tennessee is going to add another Atlanta-area product. It's going to be adding D'Angelo Gibbs from Georgia. And interestingly enough, he just kind of left an SEC East program to go to another SEC East program and not as a grad transfer. That's not something you see all the time. You don't see it that often. But it's happening in this case, and it uh, looks like he might be playing wide receiver maybe at Tennessee, but he was a defensive back uh, coming out of high school, and uh, he is the cousin of uh, Nigel Warrior. He is the nephew of former Vol star and NFL star Dale Carter, 
And uh, this guy was a big-time prospect, and he never quite was the player that he was supposed to be at Georgia, but maybe new, new maybe a change of scenery kind of gets that out of him. Yeah, and, and you, you touched on it. You know, the fact that he's going straight from Georgia to another SEC school, I think, you know, kind of hints at the underlying issue here, which was that there were some off-field problems and, and that, you know, may, maybe all parties involved just felt that it would be best for him to start off somewhere else and that Georgia wasn't going to put up a fight if he wanted to go to another another place in, within the division because he just needed to go. And um, That does raise some red flags, though. It, it does, but at, at the same time, I mean, not off-field issues with attitude or anything necessarily. I think just, you know, he's, he's had some some things that he's had to work through and, and he's, he's still working through them, and that's – that's where sitting out a year, I think, could help him. You know, he, he needs to get his feet on, under him at, at Tennessee, settle into a new environment. You hope that having, you know, Nigel Warrior around him, that, that you know, having a guy like that can be a good influence on him. Having a you know, different coaching staff to work with, maybe that helps. Just a fresh start in general. And, and, and part of that fresh start, maybe Tennessee's willingness to try him at wide receiver. Uh, you mentioned that he, w- he was always considered uh, to have a higher ceiling in the secondary, but that was partly because – at wide receiver, he didn't have tremendous speed for a receiver coming out of high school, but he did make a lot of big plays in high school on offense. He was a pretty productive receiver uh, at, a, at the two different schools he, he attended in the Atlanta area. So he's got a history there, but didn't play there at Georgia, obviously. So he's, he's got a lot to learn about playing receiver if that's where he goes. But regardless, I think this is an example of Tennessee taking a, a former high-profile prospect and saying, hey, he needs some work. He's got he's to work on himself. But if he takes care, takes care of his business and we can get the most out of him as coaches, this is a player worth adding, clearly, because, you know, as you kind of indicated there, he's taken a spot away from your 2019 recruiting class uh, that you could use on someone else. So even if he's not contributing this year and it looks like he won't, this is something you you obviously feel pretty good about him if you're Tennessee to, to be willing to spin that spot on a guy like this. Yeah, and I, I think the fresh start thing is probably the – the main it's sort of a match for for Gibbs in Tennessee because obviously Jeremy Pruitt recruited him pretty heavily um, coming out of high school and, and you mentioned Nigel Ware I think he played on the same team with uh, Bailey Buchanan too mm-hmm. so he's got a he couple did. guys that's a good point uh, <clears throat> on this team uh, and, you know seniors Buchanan and Ware will be seniors this year that can help him through this year that he's likely going to have to sit out and so they can help him adjust to Tennessee and get him up to speed and then um, uh, you you put him and, and Solomon on your scout team this year. They're, they'll they'll from, from what I understand they're still trying they'll, they'll still try with Solomon. Yeah. I, I don't think Gibbs has much of a case no. at all uh-uh. uh, to play in 2019. But um, we'll, we'll see if anything happens with Solomon. But uh, with Gibbs is a guy that you know you need receivers after this year. You're losing a handful of, of seniors. Um, <clears throat> Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings, Brandon Johnson, Tyler Bird will all be seniors. So you'll you'll need to replenish your receiving core, and so that makes sense to. Uh, to, to you know that that's where Gibbs sort of is, is a factor maybe in the long run but uh it you know it it's sort of a I don't think it's very much of a risk because I don't know what the expectations are because it didn't do much at Georgia so yeah. um given that I don't know that they're you know anyone's expecting him to come in and necessarily let the world on fire so anything you get out of him will probably exceed what you know what the low expectations are now mm-hmm. obviously he was a re- really uh highly thought of recruit coming out of high school but that was two years ago and so a lot of things have changed and he didn't and, produce at Georgia. And he didn't produce at Georgia, and there was some, you know, talk of not him. Not necessarily a crime, though, because that is a talented team. Yeah, no, it is. And, but and he, he did play some, though. And, yeah, and he's obviously, you know, ha, as you touched on, Ryan, has some things that he needs to work through. And, and you know, some, you know, we see with a lot of these guys, sometimes they just need to mature. We saw with Nigel Warrior, too, you know, yep. two, you know, different kind of battles, you know, than, than, you know, different players have different kind of battles and different ways they need to mature. But uh, sometimes guys need, 
um, you know, to, to grow up a little bit. And, and if you're Tennessee, you're hoping that with a, a coach that he knows, and I'm sure he knows some of the other guys on the defensive staff too, they probably recruited him, uh, much like was the case with Aubrey Solomon. You hope that those relationships sort of help him find the fresh start and, and he, you know, takes advantage of, of the situation that he's been given and the second chance that Tennessee has given him. And, and maybe it's a situation we're just getting around, you know, it's a kid from the Atlanta area, let's face it, going just down the road to Athens to play in college. There, there might be a lot of guys that he's around there that, you know, just – not the, not having the kind of influence on him that he he needs to have around him, and that's not saying there's bad guys on the roster, but maybe maybe just getting around a new cast of people that he doesn't know as well. There can were help reasons, him. yeah. There were reasons I didn't mind T. Higgins going to Clemson yeah. in that way. That I think there were guys from his hometown he just kind of needed to get away from a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that. But I mean, and what I meant by red flag is that you know it's unusual, and I don't know Gibbs personally. I didn't cover him. I don't think I ever talked to him in recruiting. Uh, I I didn't know a, a ton about him. I just mean that when one school in your own conference allows you, doesn't really fight you going to another school in the conference, especially one of your biggest rivals, uh, that to me is at least a, a small red flag saying, why would you let him go there? Because these coaches normally fight everybody over the dumbest things. Mm-hmm. So that is is what it is. But if you go back and think about it, um, you know, years ago, uh, LSU had a quarterback named Rick Clawson who said, I don't care if you let him, you know, Saban said, screw it, you can go to Tennessee, I don't care. And then what does Rick Clawson do a couple years later? He goes down to Baton Rouge and he beats LSU uh, and becomes Tennessee starting quarterback and leads him to, you know, a really big season. So I think that that you never know how these things work out. Um, You know, if Kirby Smart really thinks that D'Angelo Gibbs is a good football player and he let him go to Tennessee or didn't fight him going to Tennessee – well then, t- tip of the cap to Kirby Smart. That's, yeah. a, that's a classy move. Sometimes maybe you just you just know that a, a young man needs a fresh start somewhere else, and that's what's best for him. And, and Georgia also may be in a situation similar to Tennessee where they needed to sort of trim some guys from their roster yeah. too. So I think that may have been a factor um, if you're looking to squeeze some numbers in there. And if you're Georgia, you've got a really good recruiting class. It's number two because Alabama's recruiting uh, yeah. also insanely. But yes. um, that you have a chance to put two. Uh, top two recruiting classes back together, and if you need to make room, then maybe you're willing, more willing to let a guy like Gibbs, who's uh, maybe he's been a headache for for those coaches. Who knows? Yeah. You know, we don't know all the details of what's gone on down there. So, um, yeah, maybe that's a, a reason too that did Georgia let him go without a fight. Yeah, a lot of times when you look at a kid when he's a senior, and and you go back to think about him when he was a freshman. Uh, you can it can be a completely different human being. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, Jordan McRae for the Tennessee basketball team. By the time he left Tennessee, was such a different player from the guy he was as a freshman that it was almost unrecognizable. Look at, so guys do grow even up. Josh Richardson too, and not that he was you know a head case, but Richardson yeah. just as guy. a player, he yeah. blossomed. Yeah, Al- Alvin Kamara, good example. You know, yeah, Al- not that Alabama good. wanted to lose him at the time, but yeah, I mean he he's a guy who matured a lot from his freshman year at Alabama to the time he left Tennessee, and he, and he yeah. talked about that openly. And, oh, he, yeah, and he, he had to, and he had to go to a JUCO because Alabama was going to fight him going anywhere yeah. that was good because Pam knew what kind of player he was. Right. So yeah, we will. Uh, you know get, who didn't know. What kind of player he was? Uh, that would be Lyle Allen Jones. <laughs> would be my would be my guess. I throw up the lob, and Wes gives me the you. <laughs> throw it down, big fella. Uh, we do need to mention though that in addition to one addition to Tennessee's roster, uh, and again we think that we're pretty sure, pretty sure that Gibbs is going to have to sit out a season. Solomon might too, probably will have to, but at least he has a chance through a waiver uh, to make something work there. So. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. But in addition to Tennessee gaining uh, some things lately to the to the roster, uh, the coaching roster has also been trimmed by one now, which it needed to be. Uh, Charles Kelly, Tennessee's safety coach, uh, is going to be headed down to Tuscaloosa and coaching 
with Nick Saban in Alabama. Interesting, an Auburn boy going down to coach at Bama. I wonder if they're as upset about that as uh, <laughs> as Tennessee fans are when, like, any time a Bama or Georgia grad comes up here to coach. Now, uh, something I feel like we should get out of the way right away is that for a couple days there, Tennessee had 11 coaches. And maybe yes. some of the reaction when Kelly went to Alabama was, oh, good, now they're back down to 10. Tennessee did not want to lose Charles Kelly. No. Jeremy Pruitt did not want to Correct. lose Kelly. Um Kelly actually had turned out an offer to be the defensive coordinator at Maryland. Yes. We don't know what his role will be on Alabama staff. Um, they are pretty much overhauling most of that staff uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, so we don't know what he will be. I would be surprised. I would not be surprised if he's a, a co-defensive coordinator. Yeah. Potentially. That's what I've um, at least heard as a possibility. I, I think Pete Golding is, is also a guy that could be a, the, the other co-defensive coordinator, but um, Kelly has, has coached in Alabama for uh, a few years prior at like Jacksonville State and a couple other places. So he's returning to uh, a state he's very familiar with. Recruited um, a lot of Alabama for Tennessee. Yeah, recruited Alabama. So, um, and I, I don't think that Tennessee wanted to lose him. And 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 Jeremy Pruitt certainly was was diplomatic in, in addressing that situation uh, in some radio he did the other night. But uh, yeah, he Kelly was a really good coach. Uh, I think he proved this season at Tennessee he was a really good coach, uh, and and they did not want to uh, to lose him after this season. Yeah, I, anytime you got a guy, and I, I mean it's kind of a rule of thumb, but not like a given that anytime you have someone who used to be a head coach, when they make a move somewhere, they're trying to position themselves to be a head coach again as quickly as possible. And with Charles Kelly as a defensive coordinator, I think it's the same thing. I think when you've been a defensive coordinator for as long as he has. You'll go be a position coach for a while, but you want to go be a coordinator again. You you want to be running your own show. And I think when he looked at the situation at Tennessee with Pruitt and with Shearer, he kind of thought, okay, I don't know if I can get back to being a DC as quickly as I want here. So I always looked at Charles Kelly as like a two year max guy. Yeah. When he got here, I just history tends to show that unless you're winning at a level like Alabama's winning at, it's hard to keep guys away from being having the position that they want. They were and, lucky to get him as a position yeah, coach. Yeah, and, and he fell into their laps a little bit last season. He did a good job for him, uh, clocked in a good shift, as they say, good for him. But I always looked at it as he wanted to be a D.C. again as quickly as possible, and I think he's thinking, if I go down to Bama, if I'm a co-D.C. at Bama, that's a no-brainer. But even if I go down there as a position coach, with the visibility of that program, with the way people take coaches from there all the time and Kelly's not too old he could still be a head coach one day so sure. I think that move if we're all sitting back and being honest about it I think we can say that was a good move for Charles Kelly let's just call that what it is but uh, yeah the interesting thing to me now guys is what do you do now with the way that you divide positions within this Tennessee coaching staff because I don't think we can assume there will be any more movement it's always possible the coaching carousel the dominoes you never know which way they're going to start falling but and tennessee hasn't named any titles yeah. for anybody either which tells you there's at least the door has to be open yeah. for more movement or they don't know what they want to do yet and and you know i think you'll see that window after signing day and before spring practice um kind of right after signing day is when you start to see another little round of movement with position coaches we saw who, it last year with robert gillespie yeah who, who you see things where Guys stay through a recruiting class, and again, you can say, is that fair to the kids? And I would 100% stand on the table and say, no, it is not fair to the kids. But that's the way it goes in this business. business. It's it's business, and that's what they do. So uh, then everybody does it. So there will probably be some movement somewhere from some guys who said, hey, yeah, I want to take this job, but I want to wait till after signing day because I want to 
uh, do my current boss a solid. And, and so you see some movement uh, in that area, and maybe there are some cases where head coaches say, I'm going to get rid of this assistant, but he's a good recruiter, and I need him to get this one particular kid for me, and then I'm going to get rid of him after signing day. That's how it goes in this business. Uh, and I'm not naming names. I don't think Pruitt does that, but I think there are guys out there who do things like that. And so bottom line is you're, you could see more movement, but right now as it stands, it sure looks like Tennessee has six offensive coaches and four defensive coaches on the staff and you do have some guys there who could move around I think we all know Jeremy Pruitt's made no bones about this uh Brian Niermeyer who is an absolute up-and-comer in the business a guy who's had a great year in many ways for Tennessee uh dude's got a bright future ahead of him he could coach anywhere he's got the tight ends now but Pruitt has said several times that Niedermeyer could coach anywhere on offense or defense he would have no problem putting him anywhere that's his dude uh, but he did coach the tight ends last season, and he's, uh, until further notice, still the tight ends coach. So you bring in Chaney, you bring in Martin, and you lose guys like Kelly. Okay, you're, and, and then you lose your offensive coordinator. So you, you've already tilted the balance a little bit in the staff when you've done that. So now are you in a position where you keep the offense the way it is, and Jim, Cor- uh, Jim Chaney doesn't technically have a position? He's kind of a roaming guy. Like uh, like what Monty Kiffin was on defense. He's a CEO coach. Yeah, he's a CEO kind of like a CEO quarterback. Because Monty Kiffin wasn't a position coach when he was Tennessee's DC. He was just the DC, and he roamed around did everything. And, and then you have Jeremy Pruitt doing what he loves to do, which is saying, you know what? If I'm gonna pay that much money for an offensive coordinator and a big time one, I'm gonna let him run the offense. I'm gonna go over here and help with the defense. Is that what they do? I, I, th- I think there's two maybe scenarios, and this is all assuming that there are no changes beyond signing day, and and there's always a possibility it's coaching things change. Yes. Um, to me, the two scenarios are they go six and four, as you mentioned. Cheney's the the rumor on guy. They shift some things around uh, on the and that, offense. Because Cheney, co- Cheney can coach anywhere. And yeah. that in that scenario, I think Winky coaches quarterbacks, yeah. and then David Johnson goes to running backs probably. And there's been some rumblings, you guys, from talking to recruits. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you know they had a running back in this weekend that. Said so, you know, David Johnson's could, sort of talking to him more than maybe you would expect, and, mm-hmm. and it, to me, as we as we touched on, almost like T. Martin has to coach receivers. That's what he does. Yeah. Um, and so, if you stay six and four, uh, the the scenario is there is that Jeremy Pruitt basically I don't want to say ignores the offense, but he lets Jim Chaney run the show over there. Which get you're paying him one point five million dollars to do so. Why wouldn't you? And you go and basically you're you're the safeties coach, or you help Terry Fair in, in the in the secondary. The other scenario is maybe you shift some guys around and you move Brian Niedermeyer, who at Georgia and Alabama with Pruitt, uh, he was he was in an off-field role, I think, at Alabama for part of his time there, but he also uh, was a grad assistant for, for part of his time at those two places with Pruitt, and he was basically the assistant uh, linebackers coach. So he could maybe move there. Kevin Shearer has coached in the defensive backfield before uh, at South Alabama when he was the defensive coordinator. So you've got some flexibility there. And and as we touched on on offense, there's some guys that have that have coached different positions on the offensive side of the ball as well. In that, uh, and Wes is trying to show me something, I can't read it. Um, no, it's, it's just funny. Just keep keep going. You don't have to. I can't read what that's. Are you really that blind? <laughs> I don't have my glasses. <laughs> I can't see. I mean, don't get me wrong. My vision's twenty five hundred. What does it say? I'm blind, but what does it say? You're not re- okay. All right. But but I mean, you're. I like, can't share it. But you're like, I mean, you're you're just. You're blind, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm more than 2,500 without my glasses or contacts on, so I can't see anything. And I can't read your writing anyway because it's chicken scratch. But, but as, as I was saying, you've got some guys on the offensive side of the ball that have coached different positions before. Um, 
Uh, Chris Winkie, obviously, coached quarterbacks in the NFL. David Johnson played coach, quarterback in the NFL. David Johnson has coached running backs uh, to Lane before he was at Memphis, so he's coached there. Uh, even T. Martin got his start in coaching as a quarterbacks coach. So if you wanted to, you know, you could you could move him there if you wanted to. And and there's always the chance that that Pruitt could say, uh, let's make some changes after signing him. That's always a possibility. He may want to upgrade some places uh, on the staff as well, and we'll have to see what those uh, amount to. But um, you know, at, at this point, I think that's those are maybe the, the scenarios that are there, but we'll have to see what uh, what what happens. Yeah, and, and I think that that if you're looking, I, I look at running backs coaches this way. I, I've made this comparison before. Running backs coaches to me are kind of like marinara sauce. Uh, anybody can do it, but there's only a few who do it really well, like more than others. Like it's kind of like you know, you can go get marinara sauce, like some spaghetti anywhere. It'll be decent. It'll be edible. It's hard to screw up marinara sauce. But there are only a few people out there who just do it at such a ridiculous level that they're elite. But a lot of places on the staff, uh, staffs across the country, uh, you can put anywhere, any of your offensive coaches at running back coach, and you can say, listen, this is how you pick your holes. This is how you pass pro. This is how you go run a route. This is how – I mean, it's not like it's somewhere like offensive line or quarterbacks where it's so – or in the secondary where it's so technical – that one little shift here or there changes the whole so thing. Basically, you think you could be a good running backs coach? No, I could not. But like any of those guys on that staff, any of those college football coaches could go out there and be running back coaches. I think. Um, now that doesn't mean that it's not an important position, and it doesn't mean that it, it's it's worthless. I mean, it, it's a huge position. But if you look at it, a lot of a program's best recruiters are running backs coaches because they can spend a lot of their time recruiting. Because running backs, you don't. It's just it's just the way it goes on a staff. Like it's not like, you know, OCs and DCs they're not out there recruiting a ton all the time. Not as much as the others because they're doing technical football things. Running back coaches can go recruit. Do you remember that time that Derek Dooley didn't have a running backs coach full time? Yeah, that was funny. That was almost as funny as Butch Jones not having a quarterbacks coach when he had Josh Dobbs. Um, and the you know having six offensive having an imbalance and this is just what the second year of the of having ten assistant coaches. So this is still kind of new territory for a, a lot of programs. And, and Alabama had six and four last year. They had six guys on offense, and um, not including Butch Jones. Uh, and then just because four Saban's guys on defense. defense. Yeah. a defense guy. And, and so you could see you know, Tennessee go that way too. Um, we'll just have to see if they want to – You know, Pruitt's always going to be looking to continue to upgrade his staff. I think he feels – certainly he feels like he's done that uh, with, with Jim Chaney and T. Martin for sure. And, and if he feels there's another uh, direction he can go – uh, maybe with the safeties coach, whether it be on the offense, um, does he want to get another big time recruiter like T. Martin is uh, on his staff? Those are those yeah. are things that he will will try to sort out too after signing day as well. Because Philip's going to give him the money um, to do whatever he, he, he wants. He basically. did make the comment, and I don't know if this was just you know for public face, you know, saving face necessarily. I don't want to say saving face; that's probably not the best term to use. But uh, he did say in one of his radio appearances earlier this week that he likes the guys he has on his staff, and he thinks those guys like being here. So. We'll have to see if there's any changes after signing day. I don't think there are any that are imminent at this point. And and I think another area that they have to address is how they're going to handle special teams because uh, Charles Kelly was sort of the, the overseer of that position as well. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of staffs, and, and we saw this with Butch Jones' he, staff he too. And he, he and Lilly both were. Yeah, and, and John Lilly's part of that equation too. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of staff sort of break it up among the, the assistant coaches and, and some of the, uh, the non – line of scrimmage coaches you know pitch in and have a have a have a coverage unit or what have you so but with uh, with Kelly leaving and with with John Lilly going to the Browns um, 
he was a behind the scenes guy who was heavily involved in special teams because that's what he did a lot at Georgia too. So uh, those two guys are probably your two most important special teams coaches, and and that's a you know that's an area where Tennessee I think will have to address too with how they figure out the new staff. So I would think more changes would be coming. Um, but I don't think anything will happen before signing day. But that's just that's just a hunch on my part. I don't I don't know that anything is necessarily in the works. A couple quick notes. So one, Ryan had to step out of the room for a minute to do a radio interview. And if either Pat or myself or Grant had to step out to do an interview, we would just hit pause on the podcast. But since it's just Ryan, we don't really care. We don't. We're just going to keep on talking. I he think can, this will be the best part of the podcast. Part it, it'll here. be the most hard hitting part of it. Uh, but while you were talking about you know you know saving face, saying good things publicly. I'm going to say something that's going to sound like spin, but I don't think is. I'm going to posit this to you. Uh, Tennessee, the coaches that Tennessee has lost, one was an offensive coordinator who went to become an FBS head coach. Another was a guy who might have left for a position promotion at the University of Alabama, which is doing football better than just about anybody right now. Another one. They're not doing it better than Clemson, just for the record. I said almost anyone. Uh, You go back and look at. Uh, another guy, Lily, who left to go be on the staff at the NFL level, and the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns, but that's still the NFL level. And hey, they got a quarterback now; they're doing some good things. So uh, that's a good thing, right? Does that not and, and the bro Freddie Kitchens? Yeah. Does that not show a little bit maybe that Pruitt knows what he's hiring, and the guys he's getting are guys that other staffs want to? I think that's a pretty good sign. I mean, if these guys were getting shown the door and leaving to go to smaller programs or something like that, that's one thing. But all these guys have gone on to, to some pretty nice places, so maybe this guy does know what he's doing when he's picking out a staff. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point. I mean, in Charles Kelly's case, if, if Nick Saban wants you on his coaching staff, unless you're – well, I, Bush Jones is not on the coaching staff at this point, so he's not – I'm not including him in this. So you detractors out there can yeah. just stop right there. Um, After his, I'm going to Maryland. Nah, I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm going to gonna see if I'm going to be on the staff at Alabama, but I probably won't be. Yeah. Um, what if he What if he makes that decision and then becomes a just still an intern down there? I mean, he's going to get paid from Tennessee regardless, so it doesn't matter. But still, interesting move. It doesn't sound like he's going to get the wide receivers job because it sounds like they've already got that hire lined up. But uh, yeah, in Charles Kelly's case, if you know if, if Nick Saban wants you on his defensive staff, he obviously values you pretty good. Florida State fans may disagree. But that's you know they're Florida State fans. They got enough on their hands right now with Billy. Uh, yeah, they got some issues <laughs> there. Um, but you know John Lilly, you know he was a guy that was uh, they got him in an off field role. Uh, Sheldon Felton too was another guy that they clearly valued enough to put him on the road when Tyson Helton left, and so he was you know a great that, name, such a great name. Uh, a, a guy that they, they trusted enough to do that, and would have been nice to interview him to ask him. Yeah, how do you he, feel about he, the name he, Shelton Felton? He took a full time job at Akron. Uh, I'm sure he'll probably given that he was a former high school coach in Georgia will probably reemerge on some, some staff down here in, in this part of the country before too long. Yeah. Um, so maybe go to like a Kentucky and then work yeah. your way up to the ranks that way. Ontario like Hardesty that. got a, you know, took a full-time job too. So yeah. uh yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it, it takes a village uh, and Tennessee's got some, some support staff guys to, to replace. But, How holistic of you to say that? Uh, how, what do you mean? Just, you know, it's like a really, philosophical thing for it you would, to say it, and the funny thing is is that Pruitt would say of all the coaches that I've hired I'm the best coach that's how confident he is in his oh, yeah. ability but I, I think and I've pointed this out before I think in the in the Jim Chaney and, and T Martin hires he's shown that he's learned a little bit uh, from his first season he knows he needs to go get a, a big time play caller a guy on the offensive at the offensive coordinator position that he can trust to run the show and not have to 
uh, get involved with and not have to sort of deal with because he would rather be a defensive coach and, and go coach ball on the defensive side because that's what he's always done. Uh, even though he will remind you, he used to be an offensive coach back in high school. Yeah, uh, a little bit, of, a little bit of split veer wing T, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Uh, and, and then T Martin too. I think that was a, a situation where uh, he knew he needed to. I don't want to say recruit better. I don't think that the staff maybe hates this class. Um, but if you're trying to recruit at an elite level like Alabama and Georgia, and that's let's face it, that's what that's what everybody in the league is chasing right now. Then you need a guy like T Martin on your staff, and you need more of those guys to come in and and uh, and make a big difference and big impact in recruiting and we'll see if uh how these changes pan out and if there are any more what what Prude decides to do but i think he's he's got some flexibility on the current guys and i think if he has more openings or wants to go different directions with some places then uh he will be able to uh attract some quality options given that that's what he's done with these uh these last two hires uh speaking of some of those uh new hires uh, a little bit more has come out now about t martin's contract i believe it's uh two years $450,000 per year uh, without bonuses, which is good good money if you can get it. Uh, of course, if you want to get an assistant like T. Martin, you're going to have to pay. Um, he's, getting, he's still getting money from USC. Good we money. don't know because USC is private and they don't have to. They don't have to release that info. But. Yeah, so that that's still that that's good money, but, hey, you could say that's a bargain, and we'll see how much. You know, here's the thing, too. If T. Martin is getting buyout money from USC – and when they calculate their salaries over there, you're talking about L.A. cost of living. So they got to pay a lot more. So now if you're T. Martin, you're living in Tennessee with that state income tax, and you're getting the money they paid you, a private school in California was paying you. So I'm guessing that uh, financially that's a pretty good situation for T. Martin. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, yeah, uh, it looks like it's a two-year 450000 deal and that's um obviously probably doesn't include all the money he's getting because he, he could get bonuses and usc is paying him as well uh, speaking of t martin also uh, if anyone did not see it uh they introduced uh jim cheney and t martin at the uh tennessee alabama basketball game uh, which was a sold out crowd uh the football recruits in town probably loved it it was a great atmosphere um ended up being a really good game and uh, they introduced those guys during a timeout, and they came out, and Jim Chaney got a nice standing ovation, and people were cheering for him, saying, welcome back, Jim, welcome home. Uh, and then they started the sappy music and the T. Martin video, and the place erupted. If I'm Jim Chaney, I'm thinking, what, what am I here? Am I, am I chopped liver? What, 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 what am I doing over here? Sorry, guys, let me get out of the way here, even though, hey, I'm T's boss. But, hey, I'll just, I'll just stand here. It's no big deal. Uh, but then they played the the really good VFL films, as always. Barry and Link and those guys put together a really great video uh, with some emotional music of T. Martin coming home and highlights of some, his playing some of his, days. You know, the national championship throw and uh, just some of his old days. And uh, I'll tell you, Pat, if, if we didn't think it before, definitely thought it now. Any bad blood between those two or three times when T. Martin didn't come back home last time? Uh, and whatever he said about Jalen Hurd in the past, which he might have been right about, um, you know, I think that safe to call that water under the bridge now, that seemed like a pretty warm reception. That seemed like he was welcomed back into the family pretty quickly. Yeah, I'd say so. And, and I think uh, in some cases, Tennessee fans maybe overvalue their former players as coaches. Uh, yeah, it's an emotional thing. I, I think that they think that, oh, because they were good players at Tennessee and played at Tennessee, that they'll automatically be awesome coaches. That's not always the case. but I think Or that they'll, or that they'll care more than other coaches would, which yeah. also is not true. Uh, but in T. Martin's case, I, I think um, what he meant to the program obviously adds value for him. 
in their eyes. And also that he's, he's done a good job. You know, he went out and, and has made a name for himself on his own. Uh, he, you know, had a good two year run at Kentucky. Recruited well, um, yeah. Recruited well, developed wide receivers at, at USC. Helped them upgrade that roster. Uh, for sure. Um, even though he, you know, I think he was with Joker Phillips, so he, he was limited. Well, not, <laughs> not everybody wanted to come play for the Joker. Um, <laughs> come play for the Joker. Uh, but yeah, at USC, you know, he worked his way up from being an assistant coach to being, you know, having play calling duties and, and an offensive coordinator. They had a really good year last year, um, or in 2017, won the Pac 12. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's, and if you're Tennessee, you, you know, like I said, you, you, if you're a Tennessee fan, you kind of overvalue, I don't say overvalue, but, uh, you, you think that former, your former players are always going to be awesome assistant coaches in this case, Some, you have a guy that is an assistant coach and that sort of adds sometimes it's how heart, good he is. Sometimes it's heart more than head, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it is. And, and I think it's probably the same other places certainly it's magnified at Tennessee because I think when Tennessee fans see someone who was a part of the program's best days yeah and then the program's not in those days now I think it's natural to look back and go man just just put them all back together man get them all it's why you hear the whole get Al Wilson in there somehow you know yeah. just every year <laughs> um, but I'll say this every year the same reason why they they you know why everyone asks when when Peyton's going to go back into coaching He's probably not going to go into coaching. Yeah. Why would he? Yeah, he is going to sit on his pile of money, and he is going to <laughs> live keep, his life. <laughs> keep doing the business stuff that he does. He's going to, yeah, I mean, if he gets back into football, I think it'll be at the pro level because it'll that's be front office stuff. Yeah, probably. that's more his. That's more his speed. Maybe the Elway type stuff. Um, but yeah, I'll say this: since the first year T. Martin got to Kentucky, his employers have had to beat people off with a stick every off season to keep him. And that usually is the sign that you're a pretty good football coach, that you're good at your job. And we all know T's a great recruiter, and you could say, oh, he did it at USC. Anybody could do it at USC. Okay, maybe, maybe. But he recruited pretty well at Kentucky, too. And I, I think now you'll see that uh, in this area, think about it like this. Anyone who – I said this on a previous podcast, but anyone in this state, even if T. Martin's going to not recruit a ton in this state in particular, anyone – Think about the age most people are now who have high school age kids. And you you, you think T. Martin, they're not going to let T. Martin come in and talk to them if they're in this state? Are you kidding me? T. Martin's going to come in and get go into any living room he wants because he's T. Martin. And they're going to be like, yeah, come on in. Because you know what? The parents probably want to talk to him. Uh, I mean, let, let's just call that what it is. So I, I think there's value there. And I think this is just a guy that it was great to add back to the staff. Uh, it worked out really well for Tennessee. Uh, he, he's going to make a um, he's going to make a good chunk of change. Um, I think he's especially when you get him back as a position coach, like you said, that's a that's a heck of a deal. So uh, we'll get more on the other staff stuff later. I think Jim Cheney was at one point five mil uh, before benefits and all that, before um, perks, bonuses, all that. Uh yeah, he'll make one point five this year, and then it goes up a hundred thousand every year. It, it was a three year, four point eight million dollar deal. Yeah, if I if I remember correctly. And hey, if you want to get a top level coordinator, that's what you got to pay for it. So we'll have more on the coaching staff stuff, obviously, every week going forward, at least until spring practice. There could be updates on different guys, so we'll keep bringing those uh, to you. Before we move on and, and finish with recruiting, um, there is another addition to the uh, the uh, the portal. It's portaling time. You know what? I really should have had some sort of a sound queued up for NCAA transfer portal talk, but it looks like there is another 
Tennessee player in the portal. We've said it before, Tennessee going into this offseason, if it wanted to sign as many kids as possible, it had to lose eight scholarship players who weren't seniors from this team. And as you can all see right now, they've not lost eight so far. So there's still some more to go. Looks like one more is going to be Austin Smith. Uh, uh, this is a possible, possible RIP to one of my ninjas. And my ninjas are my guys every year. I pick out a couple guys who are three stars or lower, and I'll watch them in their first camp at Tennessee or first spring practice and go, that's my ninja. That guy's going to be a good player. And uh, Austin Smith was one <laughs> of those. You've got a couple ninjas in the portal right now. Yeah, for years. You might have three, actually. I'm, I'm telling you, for like five, six, seven years, I had a really good run of picking those guys. Like just you lost it. Maybe, maybe because I had some guys back in the day. I was like, "That's my guy." My favorite was Denarius Moore when he's. I was like, "Star, that kid's gonna be a star." And so I got that one right. And I've had some others that I got right. Did not get this one right. And I, you know, it's kind of weird because Smith physically is a guy who should be able to do it. Every time a new coach has come to Tennessee, they've been like, "Ooh, I think I can do something with this guy." And then for whatever reason. Maybe he's just, even in this era of multiple defenses, maybe he's just a tweener who's not quite good enough as a defensive end and not quite good enough as an outside linebacker. Uh, He's played some inside linebacker. He started a couple games as a middle linebacker as a true freshman. So, uh, I mean, he he has ability. And to me, this is one of those situations where I think the transfer portal makes a lot of sense because Smith, in my opinion, is a kid who in the right system, at the right level, could be a productive football player. I just don't know that things were ever going to work out at Tennessee. He couldn't stay healthy, had a couple surgeries, uh, always seemed to be bouncing around positionally, just kind of one of those guys who got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yeah, I think he he started a game late in his freshman year. Um, I think he was an outside linebacker, but then that offseason – Was he? I thought he was a middle linebacker as a freshman. Maybe not. No, I think you might be thinking of Jakob. No, I know, I know Jakob wasn't like. Um, no, uh, Smith was always sort of a – he was a tweener between outside linebacker yeah. and defensive end, and so he kind of bounced back and forth under the old staff. That was his issue is that he showed up – he was an outside linebacker. I can think of Sam. You know, they really played a lot because, you know, that's the guy that gets – He's that's the guy that's expense uh, when they go to nickel. Yeah. And that's the guy that usually comes off the field. But he started a game, um, you know, I think – I think that was the year they didn't have Kurt Majit and they were trying to you know, find, find some answers there. So – uh, but then he, he sort of ate himself into defensive end. Uh, he had a shoulder issue. Uh, and if you remember going into 2017, um, when they lost Kirkland and they had to move some things around before the Georgia Tech game, he was going to be the guy that was going to start um, ahead of Daniel Batuli. Yep. And then a couple days, I think that week of practice is when he got hurt, hurt his knee. Kind uh, of the story made, of his career. <laughs> uh, I don't think he tore a meniscus. I think that might have been Kirkland. I don't want to remember that wrong. Um, he had a knee injury, and that's what let Batuli get on the field, and he had like a hundred tackles in that game. Um, but Smith was a guy that uh, he only played six games because he came back from an injury that season, and he was only I think appeared in four games this season. And uh, you look at, and that's even uh, having moved a position at outside linebacker that would sort of fit what he does. You know, that's sort of the best of the both worlds between a four-three outside linebacker and a four-three defensive end is is a three-four outside linebacker, but. Even when John the Congo went down, he still didn't. He still wasn't much of a factor, uh, and so yeah, you saw were, you saw guys like DeAndre Johnson, Jordan Allen, um, 
and even Kavon Bennett were playing ahead of him. So I don't know how much of a factor he's going to be. Roman Harrison's going to be a guy that for, I think we is going to be in, as Ryan has returned as mm-hmm. it's nice of Ryan to come back and join us. Again. Yeah. Uh, Roman Harrison's going to be an edge guy, he is, an outside yeah. linebacker mm-hmm. guy. So, and he's great football name. He needs to be good. He also great football. He also kind of looks like physically. He looks better than a lot of Tennessee's players. Yeah, he, that helps. <laughs> he is. Uh, I mean, Tennessee's betting on upside here. He's a really interesting player because he was an undersized defensive lineman in high school. He played. His school was just basically really small across the board. So they said, "Hey, you're two thirty-five, two forty. Play defensive tackle for us." And he had more than he had thirty-two tackles for loss as a senior. Uh, blocked a field goal to force overtime in his state championship game. Uh, just a ton of upside here because he's athletic and he's strong. Uh, just one of those country strong kids, as you would yeah. say, Wes. And uh, I, I'll take a bet on a kid like that all day. Uh, I think Tennessee's got a lot of upside there, and yeah, that's one of the reasons that, they can afford to lose a guy like Austin Smith. Yeah, and that's that's another guy that you would think Smith may have a hard time beating out. So it makes sense for him to look around. And I think uh, Smith is in school, but that's not surprising. I think uh, he's like the other two 2015 guys that are. Uh, also portaling um, and, and Drew Richmond and also uh, Eli Wolf, another West Ninja. Yeah. Portaling. Um, <laughs> I'm making it a verb. I like it. Uh, well, that, the and, whole- and, and so I think all I think all three of those guys are sort of in the same boat where they'll probably graduate either in the spring or the summer and have the opportunity if they decide to leave. Uh, just because you're portaling doesn't mean you're leaving. Yes. Um, have the chance to maybe play their fifth and final season elsewhere. Um and shout out to our, our guys at twenty four seven. We have created a transfer portal page. Yes. On our site, I plug. Think, uh, well, I mean, it's it's the new rage. I'm glad we have decided <laughs> to to jump up on the times, and uh, I, I can't figure out which tab it's under yet. I think they were about to add it. Did you um, just plug something without knowing the four one one? No, I found it. It's it's under the uh, football recruiting tab on our website at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. So if you're you know you you click the same thing to go to look at the commitments and all that stuff. Down there at the bottom right is transfer portal. You can click on it. You can see all the guys in the portal. Yeah. Now we just need. And you can see guys where it, we even have this cool little thing where it says where they've transferred to, and if they haven't decided yet, you've got a question mark as yeah. they are still portaling. With with Austin Smith's <laughs> positions and so not, circling around the portal, you know, he, I'm having way too much fun with this. By he, the way, he moved from defensive end to linebacker so many times that it sort of reminded me of that office skit where uh, Michael and Jan have the dinner party at their house. That's one of the best episodes and, uh, on that show. And history. they're sitting there arguing, and he's like, you said you didn't want to have kids, so I had a vasectomy. Then you said you want a kid, so I had a vasectomy. Snip, snap, snip, the, snap. Snip, snap, snip, snap. Do you know how, what the, the, the effect that three vasectomies can have? Yeah, it seemed like he had to move around positionally so many times that it was like, I sort of wonder that at Princeton Fan too. It's like when he moves around so much, it's like maybe it's, you just, you just got to you kind of feel for the kid because he clearly put the team first and tried to do everything they asked him to do, tried to. And uh, I think the portal was put in place for guys like this who have done everything the right way, who have tried and just gotten injured, weren't quite a fit, but now they get a chance later in their career to go somewhere where they're going to play more. And I am 100% in favor of anything that benefits college student-athletes. I think they uh, get some benefits. Don't get me wrong, a free tuition is nice, but there's a lot of things that they sort of get shafted on. And the, the way their coaches can move around when they can't is, uh, is, is I, just compl- when the coaches are the ones getting paid in the first place is totally unfair. And so anything that benefits the kid is is things something that I'm okay and, with. And as we pointed out, I think, last week or whenever we talked about our previous portaling podcast, um, it, this, this is an avenue in which it sort of takes out coaches blocking you having contact with certain schools. Because once you're in the portal, you can be contacted by anybody. 
And so I think it eliminates sort of the, uh, some of the blocking that your current school could do. Although I think in, in these, some of these situations for these Tennessee players, I think they're graduate transfers most likely. And so I don't think yeah. Tennessee, given what they did with Brandon Kennedy, I think it would be, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt, who was very adamant about saying, if you've graduated and you've completed your degree, you have, you should have the, the, uh, you know, the right and the ability to go anywhere you want to go and, and play immediately. So, but we'll see if those guys end up leaving. I think Drew Richmond certainly is the way it looks like he's exploring his options. I think he probably won't be back. Um, and I frankly would be surprised if Wolfer Smith are back too. But they're just portaling right now. They haven't left yet. Yeah. They're just in the portal. Anything can happen in the portal. The portal kind of <laughs> goes where it wants. Whatever happens in the portal stays in the portal. <laughs> exactly. All right. The, the portal, this is the new Vegas of, uh, of college football. <laughs> you go there, and, hey, man, you, 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 whatever happens, you either come back or you don't, and that's just – it is what it is. Hey, Ryan, what about recruiting? <laughs> now it's that time where we go, hey, Ryan, what about recruiting? Uh, Ryan, there is only, as we said, going into the podcast, uh, 12, 13 days until uh, the February signing day, FSD. How many as, spots they have? 12 Pat, or 13, depending on what day it is. Right? Pat, Pat's really trying to Pat's really trying to get everyone to go. I'm, you know, I'm going to join you, Pat. I'm going to start calling it the February signing day. I'm going to call it FSD. I'm going to try to get it going. I'm going to help you on that. I'm going to do you a solid. So, Ryan, going into FSD here, uh, where is Tennessee? Where were some visits last week, some visits this week? Uh, commits visiting elsewhere. Uh, the floor is yours unless you do something to where I have to take it from you. Go ahead. Yeah, no no need to take the floor. Uh, no, it, it's going to be an interesting finish now because, as we talked about earlier with the – Are you D- saying it's going to be an interesting 24 to 48 hours? Maybe a little more than 48 hours. I, I'd go I'd go 24 at least – 24 to I, 2,500? I'd, I'd go uh, an interesting 240 hours or so. No, uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be fascinating because the numbers are tight now uh, after the addition of D'Angelo Gibbs. And, and we don't know exactly how it's all working. You know, I know there's been some talk of can Tennessee sort of finagle the numbers a little bit with, uh, with Aubrey Solomon, D'Angelo Gibbs. We, we don't know the answer to that ultimately, but both guys are on campus and going to classes. So you would think those guys are both on scholarship or will be soon. And, and if they are, that, that takes up two of your 25 spots. There's no – there, there's no confusion on that. With the new rule, you can only bring in 25 new scholarship players per calendar year. So that that takes the number that Tennessee can sign down to 23, and they have, if you look at our commitment list, 21 commitments, but m- most importantly, 19 that have signed. So that leaves them with only the room to sign up to four more guys. Uh, and that's, that's maybe the maximum. It might be three. Um, so obviously you've got Darnell Wright still in play. You've got Henry Toa Toa. You got Chris Russell, the linebacker from over in Dyersburg, that they seem to seem to want pretty badly, and then uh, you've got some other guys they've been actively recruiting, like Jamie Robinson, uh, that they had Dywan Griffin, the wide receiver from Louisiana, on official visit. Uh, they, they've been in the mix for some other guys. You know, they're still battling for for a final visit from George Pickens, the Auburn wide receiver commitment. We'll we'll see if that happens next weekend. Uh, as of right now, you know, and, and we'll see if this changes by Friday morning. But at the time of this recording, we're we're not sure that there are going to be any official visits this weekend. Um, you know, Christian Williams is another guy who who looks like he's going to visit. And next they're going weekend. to be missing out because Red Panda's doing the basketball game. Oh man, against West Virginia on Saturday, so they're they're missing Red Panda. They're missing quite the show. But hey, don't don't never, don't fear about that because they've still got some guys coming in this weekend. It is going to be a Junior Day weekend at the very least. They've got some some twenty twenty prospects already scheduled to be in. Looks like some pretty highly ranked guys will be in. Uh, and, and we've already had some some stories on that on Good Balls twenty four seven. Plenty more to come. The best uh, internet site for Tennessee athletics. Yeah, uh, but so uh, yeah, but with all that being said, we don't know for sure that, that this weekend will be a big weekend. But you still got some visits coming up next weekend. 
Darnell Wright obviously set to take his official visit to Tennessee next weekend. Uh, Christian Williams, the the Minnesota defensive tackle commitment from over in uh, in Memphis, it looks like he's visiting Oregon this weekend, and then Tennessee maybe gets the last visit if they decide they still want to go through with that. So he's another option for the for one of those final spots. And you've still got the two Tennessee commitments that haven't signed, Ladarius Cox and, and Anthony Harris. D- does one or both of those guys fit into the final picture? There's a lot, a lot to be decided and some tough decisions maybe that Tennessee will have to make here down the stretch. So it obviously centers around Darnell Wright and Henry Toa Toa. Big visit this weekend for Toa Toa. He's, as of right now, still scheduled to go to Alabama. Uh, as long as that visit happens, I think Alabama's still probably the main concern for Tennessee, but Washington also still in the picture. So that one's one to watch. Darnell Wright went to West Virginia last weekend. I, I don't think they made moved the needle enough to – to really threaten Tennessee, but we'll see if he visits North Carolina or anywhere else this weekend. Even if he does, I think Tennessee's still the the, the clear favorite there, and it's going to be tough to beat Tennessee at this point. So uh, that that's the one that you think is looking good for Tennessee, and then we'll see on the others. But uh, at least a couple battles left with Henry Toa Toa and Chris Russell that even if Tennessee gets Darnell right, what happens with those two guys will we'll probably determine what happens with uh, some of those other names we mentioned, including those Tennessee commitments. So uh, the, it's to that point in the year where you've got more names left on the board than you've got spots, and that's that's how it's supposed to be. But uh, definitely a, a tough situation to to manage because you, you you're still waiting on some dominoes to fall that will decide how you finish this class. And if you're Tennessee, it's a good situation, but it's sort of a dilemma now because you, you don't know how to play it with certain guys, and you've just kind of got to keep recruiting them and, and wait and see what happens with some of them. And, and with at this time of year, because of the December signing day and the February signing day. It almost seems like a lot of staffs, or at least in Tennessee's case, they've like just about, I don't want to say all the way moved on to 2020. Yeah. But there's a, obviously a, a pretty big emphasis on getting a lot of those a lot those current juniors to campus. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had a, a, a pretty good list of guys here this past weekend. Yeah. You mentioned them. I'm sure they're going to have multiple junior days in, in the spring yeah. between now and, and the start of uh, practices. So. We, we've heard of guys visiting the weekend of February 1st, or I guess that'd be February 2nd, uh, the final Saturday before signing day, you know, February 16th. There might be some guys in. I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of visitors. But, yeah, you're right. January has become essentially the start of the 2020 year in, in some way or the start of your junior recruiting for the next year because you you might have only a few spots left like Tennessee this year. And, and Tennessee was only in a different situation last year because it just been through a coaching change. So most years I think this is what it's going to be where – January becomes really important to, to start developing better relationships and getting guys back on campus uh, and starting to get to know them better. So, so yeah, that, that's just as important this time of year, and that's what Tennessee's coaches have spent a lot of time doing in addition to visiting, you know, eight or ten guys they're still actively recruiting in 2019. So there are still – I mean, I know that a lot of people uh, – you know, it's the the FSD has sort of taken a lot of the, the ESD has uh, ES, <laughs> no wait, hold on ESP has taken a lot of uh, time away from uh, FSD. Uh, you can and, see why we don't call attention. it ESP. Yeah, that's uh, it's like the 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 function on your remote control. If you look at this, there are still some things in place. So what that's going to do is it's going to take a lot of a lot of intense uh, speculation on a lot fewer players is what it seems like. Is that probably fair to say, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, how you, how you approach this, I mean, coaches are used to dealing with this, this dilemma, but because yeah, I mean, there are only so many guys left out there on the market after the early signing period. I mean, when you look at the list of guys on, on 24 seven sports and see the, the guys who are uncommitted, you know, two of the elite players and two of the only guys in the top 100 who are still out there are Darnell Wright and Henry Toa Toa. A lot of them are at least, 
committed if they even if they didn't sign early they're at least committed to schools where it's a little bit different approach but very few still out there so you, you want to be in this situation where you've only got a few spots left and and now you've got tough decisions to make on on how to approach it with some guys and, and which ones you want to want to sign so uh it, it makes for a different dynamic here down the stretch but uh for the ones who are still out there it can be very good too because as we saw last year as we've seen this year if you're still out there on the market in in january and, and february your stock can go up because teams that still need to fill spots need, need to sign players in a lot of cases and that can lead to you know, SEC schools offering guys who might not have signed with, uh, with an SEC or ACC school if they had signed early. So that, that can change a lot in, in players' recruitments. But for Tennessee's purposes, they they look like they're not having to reach. They're they're gonna have no problem filling these spots, I think. And it's just a matter of which guys they get and whether they can, whether they uh, can can land guys like Darnell Wright and Henry Tuatoa. This is a speculation on my part, but I'm just I'm wondering out loud now when you look at sort of how many guys are in the transfer portal these days and how many more transfers you see. I wonder if there's going to have to be a way to start factoring class recruiting rankings into that. Uh, and what I mean by that is you look at it right now, Tennessee, what, about 16th nationally, it looks like, mm-hmm. with as many players as Tennessee's going to sign, but other people are going to sign in the next couple of weeks. It might stay somewhere around that range, Not kind of hard to tell. Um, but, you know, then you think of, well, two of the highest-rated players in this class – are guys that Tennessee's taking as transfers. So they're clearly like adding a JUCO member to that class that are some highly touted guys. So is it maybe – is it fair to say it's almost an, in, an inaccurate reflection to say that a team is ranked where it isn't recruiting when you're not factoring in a couple of the, the most talented guys in that class are guys that you don't get to count? Well, yeah, it's just hard, though, because, you know, for example, Tennessee adding D'Angelo Gibbs, you know, they're adding him and if you were going back to his recruiting ranking from two years ago he's a top 100 player if you're getting him now is would he really be a top 100 player in this class you know it's hard hard to say that you're you're basing it on a ranking coming out of high school that is so, fair. so that's that's the thing is you'd have to go back and re-rate these guys and comparing transfers to high school players and even junior college players is just totally different so it's it, it's a it's a whole it, it it would create a bigger dilemma than than probably it would solve but but yeah i hear you and that's something you've got to take into account if you're a tennessee fan is that you know they're going to sign 22 or 23 probably, but um, but that's not going to count Aubrey Solomon. That's not going to count D'Angelo Gibbs. And and that's not going to be the complete reflection of what Tennessee does with those 25 valuable spots. So you know that even if their class rank, ends up ranked outside the top 10 or whatever, that, that hey, when you consider the impact those guys could make, it, it, you could go back and look at it and say they – they they had a top 10 kind of impact on their roster with what they added this year and that's a that's a big deal so yeah you got to take it into account but it's it's one of those things that's hard to quantify and if you ever figured it out uh, i don't know how you do that I, I think we and again i'm about to plug something for the for the brand uh we, we try to split the difference with some of that stuff with our team talent yeah composite that, that's that is where you uh, take the problem into is we probably won't update it until close to the start of the season it was actually after the start of the season this past year for some technical reasons but yeah it's usually like right before because you starts. gotta you know guys get to campus yeah early late and then super late mm-hmm. shout out to jj peterson <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah he, he still made it just in time i think for the that's uh, what we were waiting that's what the whole network was waiting on <laughs> we we're waiting on if see if jj was gonna go on campus. yeah just to the finish line got right there yeah, they're they're so. I mean, it, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, it's one that it's hard to to quantify because it happens everywhere. And well, and there've always been transfers. It, you know, Tennessee had Alex Bullard years ago. That was a big addition, but you don't take that into account. And but that that's the way that that our you know, that's the way that we sort of in our system measure yeah. it. And, and Tennessee was fifteenth in the uh, 
in the team talent composite last year, but they're probably going to lose a handful gonna, of those four-star guys I, from I, the 2015 I, class, I, I, so I'd I, expect I, that to drop. Yeah, yeah I said it years bit. ago. Even though maybe it's maybe they get buoyed a little bit by Solomon and, and Gibbs being so highly ranked coming out of high school, because that's yeah. what we go by, and that's you know it's in an exact science. But uh, hey, I, I guess this was rankings update week, so Tennessee yeah. fans are listening probably mad at our evaluators, but they have a tough job and, and they do the best they can. And uh, I would say a lot of times they're they're pretty pretty spot on with a lot of guys. Yeah, I I'd take our squad versus the rest and I I feel pretty good about it. I think our guys are uh, overall the the best of the best uh, in this in this industry uh, and I'm not just doing that because they uh, would like me to say that, but because uh, if I didn't believe that, I would just not say anything. So the fact that I'm saying that means that I believe it. So, um, but I I think I said this years ago I, and I'll say it again now. I've been saying it for a long time that the recruiting is always going to be an art. Uh, but we're going to get closer than anyone to making it a science. Uh, we are figuring this out. Uh, we look at everything in this industry. We look at trends. We look at different ways of evaluating prospects, different ways of, of getting you know, to the heart of kind of what it is that makes championship teams what they are and the best teams in the country what they are. Uh, and, and our guys are, are awesome at always looking at ways to, to adjust that because a lot of people, they come up with a good formula. They have a website that's working. Hey, that's good. They're done. They're not gonna. They're not gonna innovate. Our guys always innovate, and that's what I love about this company. And uh, that's not just a shameless plug. That's uh, legitimately what I believe. Uh, we've already gone on for a good bit of time today, and uh, so I don't know that we're gonna get a Grant's Gun Show question of the week this week. But um, I will, in lieu of that, say that uh, Grant Ramey is playing in a bachelor fantasy league, and I want. I would not have admitted that. Yeah, uh, he it was our buddy Mike Wilson who subbed in for Grant on the podcast a couple of weeks ago from our partners at the Knoxville News Sentinel. Uh, his uh, his girl got him playing a uh, in a bachelor fantasy league, and we made fun of him. And then he got Grant to join it, and now Grant's wife heard about it, so now Grant has to be in it. And I think they tried to get my wife involved because somehow I ended up on the list of teams in the league. And I've never signed up for it. I'm guessing my wife gave him a password of some kind. Oh man! So I'm technically in the league, but I'm going to get zero points because I'm not going to play in the thing. But yeah, apparently bachelor leagues exist, and uh, Grant Ramey is shaming all of the Tri Cities, especially Kingsport, everyone in Sullivan County, and our staff, and our staff, our company, his family name, <laughs> everything, by doing this. He's shaming you, you guys listening out there. And it's funny because well, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, we were eating before going to the Vanderbilt game, and uh, I was just giving him so much, so much grief for him. Both of them said, you know what? Like, your wife never makes you do anything you don't want to do. And I said, well, it's not The Bachelor. Like, what is it? And I went, it's a Project Runway. So, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> we all have things that our significant others make us watch. But uh, it's funny because I started making fun of Project Runway, and then, like, we started watching it, and... You know, anytime I watch anything, I have to pick a side. So I pick, like, my peoples, and I'm like, I want that guy to win, or I want that girl to win. And if they don't, I get furious. And I know nothing, nothing at all about fashion. Never have, never will. I just don't wear black and brown together. That's the only thing I know. But uh, other than that, um, that will be in lieu of Grant's Gun Show Question of the Week. We will make fun of him for The Bachelor. Poor Grant. He never saw it coming. He'll never hear it, probably. Yeah, he'll probably never hear it. A couple weeks ago, I was like, hey, we made fun of you on the podcast. He's like, oh, I didn't hear that one. I was like, well, you're a good coworker. <laughs> now we're going to make fun of you for that. Thanks for nothing, Grant. Thanks for nothing. But in seriousness, 
Thank you all for listening to this podcast. Thank you for being here today and joining this with us. We will be back, as always, next week with a football and a basketball episode. If anything happens that is pertinent before then, we will bring you an emergency one, as we do from time to time. But thank you for listening. Uh, You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, uh, and I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. And you can also find all of us on the GoVols 24-7 Twitter account at twitter.com slash GoVols 24-7. You can go to facebook.com slash GoVols 24-7. You can get all of your news uh, from us there. Not all of it, but uh, some good morsels of information that we're always dropping on that Facebook page, having a little fun putting out some memes for everybody to enjoy. It's a little bit a little bit of something for everybody. Or if you want to drink straight from the water hose, you can go to GoVols247.com where you can get all of our stuff on a daily basis, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like this podcast, but it is all the time. We call it 24-7 for a reason. One of us is almost always around, at least on the site, usually multiple guys on the site at a time. Uh, bringing news throughout the day on Tennessee football, basketball, football recruiting, basketball recruiting. Uh, Maria does a great job covering the Lady Balls and all that garbage that's going on over there right now. Uh, got a lot of stuff going on. We ran out of time to cover that. Yeah, well, whew, that's another topic for another day. Uh, baseball season starting up, so there's plenty to discuss there. Also with Tony Vitello and their guys playing a little baseball on turf. Gross. Uh, so we have more of that always. And quick reminder before we get out of here, Please go rate this show. I look every week at the numbers, and there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, and not nearly as many of those people are rating this on the Apple Store and Spotify and on Stitcher and on iHeartRadio. If you could go in and you could do that, just go in there. You know what? If you think we're only four stars, just only give us four stars. But if you think we're great, go in there and give us five stars. Go in there and rate us. Be honest. Tell us you like us. Tell us you don't like us. Tell us you like the podcast. Tell us you don't like the podcast. Just go in there. Give us some feedback. We want to make this the best thing that, that, that it can be and, and show it, uh, give it to as many people as possible. So go in there, please, and rate this podcast. That's all we ask. That's Pat, not so much to ask. Not too much to ask. Pat, any final thoughts? Nope.